Searching for last-minute gifts? Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750-milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for. 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit. 20% off gifts to celebrate the season. And 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC. In stores and online now through December 21st. Please sip responsibly. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thanks, as always, for your time. Hope this past week, the Independence Day, long weekend, hopefully for you. Hope it was a great one. And you took time out to appreciate, yes, warts and all, the fact that we are all blessed to live in the greatest country on earth. We've got a great show for you coming up. Uh, most of the show dedicated to an in-studio guest straight ahead. His name is John Keene. He is a United States Marine in the reserves, but was deployed way back in the day in Gulf War One, and we will have John in studio. We'll also give you a, a special opportunity if maybe you've listened to this program or you have maybe friends or family that you know they're not part of the VFW, their local post. We'll give you a pretty good opportunity to get a two-for-one deal on uh, the veterans of foreign wars becoming a member. We'll talk about that straight ahead. We'll get an update coming up from our friend of the program, longtime United States Army Colonel. His name is John Spencer. He's one of the premier experts anywhere in the world when it comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In fact, as we speak, John is getting ready to travel once again to the war-torn region. We couldn't do programs like this without our presenting sponsor. Thank you, as always, to attorney John Boson and his team, BosonLaw.com, B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day, whether it's an issue with uh, the Veterans Administration, the VA hospital system, John can help you. They're just a phone call away as well. 303-999-9999. So we'll have uh, John coming up with the VFW straight ahead. First, though, we begin with the latest. Uh, he visited us uh, on the regular program not too many days ago. John Spencer, 25-plus years in the United States Army. He is, as mentioned, one of the experts in what is going on in Ukraine. And he's been there before, getting ready to go again. He's also an author and certainly has made the rounds on television and radio over the last year and a half since Russia invaded Ukraine. Here's John Spencer. This was a legitimate, I mean, the man himself, Putin, called it a, a mutiny. This was a as much a, as a coup, a military coup, military mutiny as we've seen in the modern era. Did it come out of the blue to you? You're, I mean, you are, I, I dare say, you wouldn't say it, but I will. You are an expert on this stuff. Did you see this coming? I would say you absolutely saw this guy, this lapdog of Putin that's risen in power, Progrosian, who's the head of the Wagner Group, with this private military company that's done everything from troll farms. He's done the best fighting that 
Russia has been able to do. And there, I knew he was rising to do something, right? Whether it was contest the defense minister Shoigu or not, you could see he was doing something. But I think this took the world by surprise on him. Uh, I think it was because his plan didn't go as he thought it would. But you know, coups re- rely on the military turning against mm-hmm. the current leadership. Mm-hmm. He was counting on some support, and when he didn't get that, he just went Leroy Jenkins and headed towards Ma- Moscow. That was that's pretty crazy. John Spencer, our guest, uh, he is the chair of Urban Warfare Studies at the Modern War Institute at West Point. As mentioned, a combat veteran, we uh, we salute you and thank you for your sacrifice to this country. And I'm so glad that, you know, we were able to connect. You've been everywhere over the last year plus talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. How close, John, was he to being successful in that coup? Not even a little bit close. Uh, and, and I don't think he was actually trying to take over Putin. I think he was trying to remove the second level down, the head of the military and the head of the Defense Department, because he he had a nonstop like Kim Kardashian campaign to go <laughs> going against those guys, saying that he, he even was bold enough to say that the reasons they Russia went into Ukraine were not. But he always blamed it on Shoigu and Gerasimov, the the main general. I don't think he was aiming for all the cookies. Once you saw like people like uh, the head of the Chechens and other people not joining in his party, it was over. John Spencer is our guest more. He's on Twitter. Uh, he's also online. Visit his website, johnspenceronline.com, johnspenceronline.com. More than 25 years, my friend, in service. Uh, you went, just according to your bio, you went from private, sergeant first class, second lieutenant to major. And, you know, I guess I ask you this from your strategic position now, post your service, and then, you know, taking it back to when you were in and you wore the uniform for this country. Why should we care? Why should all of us care about whether it's the Wagner Group or still now a year and a half later what Russia did to Ukraine? Why should we care? I think we should care, even when I was a private and didn't even know it, that there's this glue that holds the world together. It's it's the post-World War II global international order. There are these laws on which we fight wars. And even when I was younger, I didn't really understand it. And I've grown to understand that I teach it, that when Russia invaded Ukraine, it was an evil person saying, I don't care about all the things that the entire world, like 200 plus countries have agreed to on laws of war, the Geneva Conventions, the United Nations. I don't care about any of that. I'm taking these people. I'm going to, I'm going to deport hundreds of thousands of babies. I'm going to commit genocide. I'm going to take this country because I have a nuclear weapon and I can't and there's nobody going to do anything about it. I think we should all care because it it, it impacts our daily lives. If Putin was allowed to rewrite the rules in which we all really thrive upon to include the U.S. national interest. Yeah. And you know what? Since the last time we had you on, um, new members of NATO, some that border Russia, did you view, view that? And I know this is this is old news, but I mean, to have you on now to talk about it, was that poking the bear? And so that was the, the kind of the, the legend or the false narrative that Putin invaded Ukraine because of Eastern expansion of NATO. And if, he, if that was true, which it wasn't, then he just lost strategically more than Hitler did. I mean, hmm. Finland joined the NATO and it increased the border that Russia has with NATO by hundreds of miles. I didn't see it coming. Uh, it's amazing. Um, Putin made NATO relevant. I, I think you can even hmm. remember back when Trump was – you know, arguing like you, you guys aren't even given the money necessary uh, in all that we agreed to to be a defensive alliance. Right. Putin has made NATO relevant. 
Wow. What's up for you? What are you doing lately? I know you just got back in. You literally just flew back into Colorado. Hope those uh, FAA and United Airlines delays didn't impact you too much. But what are you up to today? So I just got back. I actually went to Los Angeles to record a podcast about the Battle of Mariupol, which is like this Alamo Spartan Thermopylae battle that happened in the beginning of the war. But, you know, all the people were taking prisoners into Russia, many of them still there. I went to L.A. to record just this amazing podcast for my podcast. And then I'm prepping to go back into Ukraine here in about two weeks, actually, to do more research. Want a companion? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's probably too late uh, for, for, for this journey. Before I let you go, John Spencer, online.com. John Spencer, our guest, more than 25 years in uniform. He is a premier expert, friend of the program, premier expert on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I think the first time that you were on the program, John, was when we were talking about this was this was right toward the start of the invasion. And you wrote this guide. The mini manual for the urban defender. I, first of all, just send you a fist bump because this thing has been translated into, you know, more than a dozen different languages, et cetera. Give somebody that didn't hear you the maybe the first or second time you've been on with us. What is the mini manual for the urban defender? So, yeah, well, thanks. And, it, uh, you know, I had no idea that it would take on the momentum that it did. So I, the first week of the war, I saw what was going on and I put out this manual, which really taught civilians almost like a red dawn survival yeah. guide on how how to defend your cities i couldn't say it was for ukraine but ukrainians took it they translated it. hundreds of thousands were printed across the country but then as the war went on there are other countries around the world that are really concerned about being invaded by an aggressor think taiwan think other places so everybody started translating it and putting it out it's in polish now it's in uh, i'm just surprised but it's it's about how to defend your your urban areas. That's really a different type of fighting that I've studied, you know, for a little while. And I put out these simple things you could do, and that's what the manual became, and, and I put it out there for the world. Awesome. The author of three books, Understanding Urban Warfare, Connected Soldiers, Life, Leadership, and Social Connections in Modern War, and, as mentioned, the mini-manual for the Urban Defender. The show is better with you on it, my friend, and I hope to, uh, we've never met in person, but uh, please know the offer is always here. If you ever want to travel north from Colorado Springs, we'll we'll roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, Thanks, brother. Our thanks again to John Spencer, just a few days ago, appearing on our regular program Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 Mountain Time, here on 710. When we come back, we'll dedicate the rest of the show to John Keene. He is the Colorado VFW Executive Director, a position that he hasn't been in that long, but a true patriot. We'll have him coming up the remainder of the program. Stick around. We're just getting started. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to The American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue this week's American Veteran Show with a special guest in studio. Welcome, John Keene. He is uh, a member of the fraternity known as the past United States Marine Corps Reserves 12 years, 1985 to 1997. We'll get into his bio and what he does now as the executive director for the Colorado VFW, specifically Post One. John, it's great to have you in studio, and thank you so much for the time. No, sure. Thanks for having me. So... You've had a varied background. I was looking and wanted to make sure that, you know, I had everything correct. Why, first and foremost, the Marine Reserves for you? Uh, Well, my dad was in the Navy, uh, so I thought, you know, I'd have to one-up him. So I (laughs) was interested in the Marine Corps. Um, But he also encouraged me to go to school. So, you know, this was mid-'80s, 
right? There wasn't a lot going on geopolitically. It was the height of the Cold War. Nobody really thought we were going to be in a hot war anytime soon, and it just seemed like uh, access those benefits, GI Bill, still be able to serve in the military. So it seemed like at that time the reserves was the, the way to go. Where were you living at the time? So I joined when I was still in Phoenix. So my first reserve unit was in Phoenix. Uh, but then I moved to Chicago, and that's where I was uh, when we got activated for Desert Storm. So kind of a few years of maybe not a lot going on, right. and then it starts to heat up 1989, right? Um, yeah, and it was, honestly, it was quite a shock to to a lot of people in the reserves or the National Guard or, or whatever. They thought they were really joining for those school benefits, Um Luckily, the Marine Corps, when you go to boot camp, it's pretty clear that you're not there for the GI Bill. You're there to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to learn how to be a Marine. Um, so it wasn't so bad for our unit. But I remember at the time hearing people in the news um, almost kind of refusing to go because they thought this isn't really what I signed up for when in actuality that's what the contract said. <laughs> right, exactly. John Keene is our guest. He is the executive director of the Colorado VFW, and we'll give you websites and how you can become a member if you're a veteran and uh, want to boost the membership, obviously. So sticking with the, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, what 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 was the old, I'm trying to think when, we're probably just about the same age, when, when I was a teenager, um, I'm going, hmm, what is it? One weekend a month and a month a year or whatever yeah, well, it was? one weekend a month, two weeks in every summer? year, usually yeah. in the summer. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what the expectation was. But um, You again, got a little more. Yeah, but it's something they also teach you in boot camp is every Marine is a rifleman. So you know that when the call comes, that that's your primary, primary role. Talk to me about deployment. Uh, well, again, it was something that uh, was kind of untested, really, for since the draft ended. Um, and it's commonplace now. People that join even their, their, in their reserves or the, or the guard, you know, they fully expect to deploy. But this was really kind of untested water. So it was, it was just kind of a, in a lot of ways, a surreal experience. You know, they had us go into our drill center and start filling up paperwork. And as a 22-year-old filling out a, a will yeah, <laughs> before right? I left and um, not really knowing how long I'd be gone. It was, you know, it was just wild. Yeah. What do you see? Uh, say, when you, where, where do you arrive uh, in theater and, and talk, talk about that as much as, as you're comfortable with? Well, sure. Well, I would actually want to start with, you know, when we first mobilized from Chicago, we had to go to Camp Lejeune and get geared up mm-hmm. to, to deploy. Um, and I was originally, I was a combat engineer. That was my MOS when I was in Phoenix, but they didn't really have combat engineers when I got to Chicago. So they didn't really know what to do with me when we were at the armory, home armory. Mm-hmm. So when we were drilling, um, they just stuck me in supply. But whenever we went out to the field, because a combat engineer is basically a, a grunt with explosives. Um, they had me doing more of the field type of stuff, setting up perimeters, fields of fire, all that that kind of thing. So when we got to Camp Lejeune, um, I was thrown in with a bunch of cooks and admin staff and um, really had to drive home that every Marine is a rifleman. And we, would, we were doing a lot of just small unit tactics. So the cooks were putting their gear on a on a ship the motor t guys were putting their vehicles on a ship and then in the evenings we would go out and just do the basic 
uh, training about how to how to move in formation and stuff like that. And um, what's funny is our gunnery sergeant at the time, what you know, he'd been in for like twenty years, so he he was a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. and he remembers being a private when he got sent to Vietnam, and he was telling everybody, "Listen, when we get there, think about it. We're getting on a plane. You're putting all your gear on a boat." Okay, what are we going to do when we get there? And sure enough, we landed, and the first thing they did was they said, okay, you're no longer a cook or a motor tier. You are now a rifle company, and go over there and guard that ammo supply point. So that's, that's really kind of when it hit home for a lot, of, a lot of the guys that I was deployed with is like, yes, this is true. We're the first to fight, you know, the Marine Corps, all that stuff, yep. you know, you learned about, and and boot camp and throughout your training, you know, now this is where it actually is coming true, potentially. John Keene is the executive director of the VFW here in Colorado. And uh, coming up in our next segment, we'll tell you a little bit about how I met John and why I'm so happy that, uh, you know, it's a, hey, I should get you on the American Veteran Show. And by George, he's here. Uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. You go on to be, uh, for almost eight years, a Chicago police officer. We'll talk about that in a, in, uh, in a later segment as well. But where did you actually go? Were you in Kuwait? Where did you, where did you actually get off that plane? So we landed at um, Al-Jabal Airfield. And then after that, it was really nondescript, yeah. just the middle of the desert. I know that at some point, um, as the ground war approached, we got closer and closer to the border of Kuwait. And then since the ground war was so short, I think it was, what, 100 hours long, mm-hmm. um, we then turned into um, our battalion ended up receiving, I believe the number is 10,000 POWs <sighs> because the Iraqis couldn't give up fast enough. Fast enough, right. Um, so then we turned into more of like a humanitarian mission. And we did cross in slightly into Kuwait but we were more towards the, the Gulf side, so we weren't on the border of, of Iraq. We, mm-hmm. we were poised to go into Kuwait if we needed to be. You know, I've never asked a veteran this, and I, and I, I don't want to put you in a corner, but I just you made such a great point. They couldn't surrender fast enough. No. It was, it was over like that. Did that give – this is just totally your opinion. Did that give perhaps some military thinking that – in 2003, it would be easy as well, or ease. You know what I mean. I don't mean right. that it's easy, but my goodness. I mean, you know, the casualties, uh, the death, uh, the extended length of time just in Iraq. I mean, that went on long enough. As a journalist, I was embedded twice in 06 sure. and 2010. You know, you talk about Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Did that give us false sense? I don't know. I don't think it's false sense because I think the actual invasion went pretty much the same way. It was the insurgency that drug on. So militarily, I think the resistance, not being there, but I would think from what I recall from the news, somewhat similar. You know, we were overwhelmingly more powerful than the Iraqi army. Certainly at the time, at the the front end. Yeah, but my recollection is it was the insurgency was the problem, not the regular military. Yeah. As we uh, wrap up our first segment with John Keene, Colorado's executive director of the VFW, I promise, because I owe John this as a thank you, and I think we owe it as a program, to try to increase you veterans in becoming a member of your local VFW post. 
Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as we wrap up this this first segment, was there a time where you are in in that you, you're in this foreign land? Was there ever that cliche moment of I got to kind of pinch myself, whether you liked it or not? This is where you are. Yeah, uh, there were quite a few moments where yeah, you kind of almost had to pinch yourself. I, the one that stands out in my mind the most is um, just being near the oil fires. Because that's like right out of some dystopian novel, right? You know, where the sun is blacked out because there are these huge, this huge, you know, ecological disaster going on. And I remember um, it raining. You know, water and oil don't mix, right? So the raindrop would hit my clothing, and you'd see that you'd see them separate. Wow! The, my uniform would get wet, but it would leave a drop of oil on top, and that just—I mean, you can't imagine something that happening happening until it actually happens yeah you're not you're training for a lot you're not training yeah. to see to see that we'll wrap up our first segment again john Keane, uh united states marine corps in the reserves from 1985 to 1987 but deployed in desert storm and desert shield we'll be back this is the american veteran show americanveteranshow.com welcome back to the american veteran show we continue now with stefan tubbs Welcome back to the American Veteran Show as we continue with our in-studio guest, John Keene. He is Colorado's executive director of the VFW, 12 years in the Marine Reserves from 1985 to 1997 in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Uh, he also, as uh, out of the uh, Marine Corps Reserves, uh, was in Kosovo and then became a Chicago police officer. I don't know what's – there is a joke there somewhere, but actually <laughs> we're not going to do that. But, John, thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. You bet. So let's talk about um, in you, – you get to theater – you talked, and, and the, the great visuals I have of you're at those oil field fires, and you're getting wet, but the oil is separating on it. How long were you in those types of conditions? Well, we were only on the ground for, I think, four months, again, because the ground war ended so quickly. Um, right away, they started sending people home, mm-hmm. which obviously we're grateful for. Your dad, you said, was in the Navy. What's the family's reaction? I mean, and you brought up another point that almost causes a light bulb to go off. You know, you, you look at 1989, 1990. Before then, for an actual doing what you're doing, I mean, we hadn't seen that since since Vietnam. What did your family right. think? Well, so my dad was lucky. He actually was in the Navy and actually and got out of the Navy before Vietnam. He was early 60s. Um, so he didn't have that experience himself, but... You know, I have uncles and other sure. family members, and you know they obviously knew friends that went through that experience. Um, all my grandparents, or both my grandfathers, were World War II vets, so there there was a history, a family history of of service. Um, so there, again, there was no big surprise that I went into the military, what reserves or, or not. Um, so they were concerned, obviously, and I think when you and I met at that um, veterans panel, I made a joke about the fact that. Um, my mom really didn't want to really acknowledge the fact that I was deployed. So mm-hmm. her, her coping mechanism was more uh, denial mm-hmm. than anything. So does that, does, that, does that boil down to fear? I, I would think so. Um, you know, no news is good news, I guess, kind of approach. Think about, you know, not to age either of us, but we've got a little gray hair between us. But look, you know. 1990, 1991 is a hell of a lot different than 
2015, 2016, 2017, just the technology, right. the ability to communicate and so forth. And then, you know, before, and I know you're not, but before you can say, oh, woe is me, right? You look at what your grandfathers uh, went through in World War II, for example, not only the transport time to mm-hmm. get from here to there, communication. I mean, right. good Lord. I mean, just incredible leaps and bounds. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've heard stories of, um, you know, somebody who deployed in Afghanistan who's, you know, pocket-dialed home in the middle of a firefight, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then imagine getting that message on your answer. And there's machine. also blessings and curses, right? right. I mean, that, that, I mean, if you do get a, forgive me, butt-dial from a firefight in Afghanistan, I mean, you know, that's no laughing matter for somebody back here. No, no. So, yeah, but we all do our best. You know, I, I wrote letters just like my grandparents did, but mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to where there were times where we could go back to the rear and um, actually make a phone call. So that, that was great at the time. So you still, though, you stay until 1997. What do you do from, from Desert Shield, Desert Storm in, in the Marine Reserves uh, in that five, six-year period? Well, I was uh, double duty. I, was, I became a police officer during that phase. Um, so I would you know, serve my community in that capacity. And then, like you said before, one week in a month and two weeks in the summertime, I would go out and, and train with the Marines. Um, and at that time, you know, that's when all the Balkan stuff was happening, you know, Bosnia, then Kosovo. Um, so it was, then it became a mindset of, we've already been deployed once. The next time something, there's a hot spot, it pops off, you know, we got to be ready to go. And we've, we've done it before and we were successful before. So, it, it became more of the focus of the training is not if we get deployed, just but when are we going to get deployed again? Mm-hmm. John Keene is our guest. He's the executive director of the Colorado VFW, kind enough to be in studio with us. So I did mention there's a joke there somewhere about what was maybe worse, you know, you you being deployed overseas in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, or being a Chicago police officer. Well, I've, I know the joke. Yeah. So I left Chicago uh, to move to Colorado in 2006 and has gone downhill ever since. <laughs> Thank you. I'd give you a rim shot if I had one. Uh, Chicago PD. Right. I mean, that's a hell of a thing to have on a resume. How do you get in? Uh, well, you know, like most police departments, you have to take a test, yep. go through the background check, do the psychological profile. And, you know, if you make it through all their their hurdles, over all their hurdles, then, then you get a job offer. You had a niche, right? You had you had a, a specific thing you were focusing on within Chicago PD. Well, I, I developed a niche. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I happened to notice that there were a lot of animals being abused, and um, specifically there was a problem with dog fighting. Um, so I was able to get on a team. Uh, it was actually just a one person at the time, so I joined and doubled the size of the team uh, that did that was our primary mission, was to investigate dog fighting. Are you a dog lover? Oh, yeah, of course. So how tough was that position? You know, it, it's tough, but it's also rewarding because we, we, we knew that we were taking animals that were in a very bad position, forced mm-hmm. to fight or bait dogs or whatever was going on. Sometimes it was, just, it was just neglect. It wasn't necessarily purposeful. But we knew we were, we were ending the suffering. So, you know, that was the reward is get them out of that bad situation and the suffering. And, you know, if we were lucky, 
put a bad guy away. Yeah. Uh, Marine veteran John Keene joins us, Colorado's executive director of the VFW. Coming up in our final segment, we will get you, I promise, uh, we're going to shame and guilt you, veterans. <laughs> we don't like doing that on this program, but we're going to try to get you maybe to be, renew a membership or, or become uh, a member for the first time of, uh, of a VFW post, specifically VFW1.org, VFW1.org. Uh, back to the the area and, and, you know, you're, you're into the dog fighting. I mean, in those circles, I would imagine you've got, you've got some very bad individuals, obviously, uh, that you came across clearly. Uh, number two, you would have potentially, I don't know, certainly illegal firearms, uh, cash drugs. I mean, did you find that everything kind of funneled into that, that niche that, you know, you decided to double the force and yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, if you look at just crime statistics in general. It's a very small percentage of the population that commits more majority of the crime. Yep. Um, dog fighting seemed to fit in very well with the gang culture. The gangs are the ones that are selling the drugs. If you're selling drugs, you have to have weapons nearby. So it was, it was all intermixed. And in fact, I tried very hard to get the rest of the police department to see that by enforcing animal abuse and sure. dog fighting laws, they would be impacting crime overall. Because it's they, the same people. Did they listen? No, I got called <laughs> things like pet detective and all kinds of uh-huh. you know jokes thrown my way. But it was still, but it, it completely worth it. makes sense yeah. to you know Joe civilian like me that uh, it's almost a domino effect. If you if you do this, then this is going to fall and fall and fall. Right. And there there were actually instances where um, I remember one in particular. There was a, a tack team was trying to get a search warrant for a house because they were told there were drugs there, and the, the judge said, "Well, drugs you can move them too easily." It's I'm not going to sign it. And they said, well, they went back a second time. Uh, my informant said, there's, there's weapons in the house. Same thing. Weapons are easily movable. Then they called me up and said, hey, my informant said that there's 10 pit bulls in the basement of this house. And I went to the judge, and the judge said, they're probably still there. And we got the search warrant. And sure enough, I recovered the dogs. The team recovered the guns and the drugs. So it all worked out in the end. Wow. Do you, as now a former member of the Chicago Police Department, do you look, and, and sadly, and I, it's almost cliche, another weekend, it's like Monday, you're going to have a laundry list of statistics of how many people have been shot and, and sadly killed and the ages. God knows we're, we're talking, you know, just kids, some of them not even teenagers, and then all the way up and, and runs the gamut. Is it sad to you? Yeah, of course it's sad. Um, but one thing that I think I've kind of prided myself in the fact is um, I didn't let any of that stuff um, cloud my outlook on life. I mean, you see it probably, you know, just running into police officers at you know, the cliche donut shop, right? Yeah. There's a lot of guys who've been on the job for a long time. There's also a lot of military members who, after seeing all the horrible things that we see, it really, you know, they become jaded and hardened to the world. Um, I kind of went the other way. You know, every time I saw a, a, a kit, I was, look, you know, start looking for a dogfighter in particular, and I would go to this house maybe once a month, maybe every two months, because I was, I was trying to find this guy. And every time I went there, there was a toddler there who was just, had no stimulation whatsoever. Mm. Just sitting there, totally ignored, no, not reading a book, not even watching TV, just mm. really almost like, like a zombie. And I realized that people are just sometimes given a, you know, a bad hand. Yeah. You know, and you can't really blame them. So... um you know, I just, I became actually, I think, much more tolerant, much more liberal. When I first became a police officer, I thought weed was the worst thing in the world, you know, because that's what I had been told growing sure. up. Sure. 
And then I saw I never had to fight anybody who was high, but I had to fight a lot of people who were drunk. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I became I think I became a lot more tolerant as opposed to jaded throughout my career which I'm happy about. Yeah, we'll wrap up. Wonderful guest, John Keane, the executive director of the Colorado VFW. We will, uh, not too much, but we will a little shame and guilt in our final segment. This is the American Veteran Show. Stay with us, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs final segment of the American Veteran Show this week, and we continue with our in-studio guest, John Keane. Really enjoyed hearing his stories uh, from 1985 to 1997 in the Marine Corps Reserves uh, deployment in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Uh, last segment talked about uh, him becoming a Chicago police officer for, for almost eight years. So you and I meet uh, earlier this year. You are a terrific panelist among a terrific panel. I gotta, Thank I, you. I, I got I to gotta be honest with you. I didn't expect it to be as good as it actually was. And the only thing I left with, not only was that was a great panel uh, down in uh, in Centennial, but I just wish more people would have seen it. So I, I, I saw the organizer not too long ago, and she says that maybe coming up in November, they'll do another one, and hopefully we can get more butts in the seats. But Yeah, that'd be nice. You know, why did you, and, and even like now, I mean, I know you're in this position and you want to get increased membership and all of that, but you didn't have to be a part of that panel earlier this year. You don't have to be sitting here with me right now. You don't necessarily have to be the executive director of the VFW in this state. How come you? Well, I'll start off with the story I told um, at, at, during the panel. Yeah. Um, I felt upon returning from Desert Shield, Desert Storm, that a lot of the praise we received uh, was an overreaction, uh, guilt on, on the part of Vietnam. the citizens on how the, the Vietnam veterans were welcomed home. Um, and being such a short conflict, you know, not actually um, being in direct combat myself. Um, I felt it was kind of unwarranted. And, and for quite a few years, I, after I stopped drilling, um, I really didn't wear my veteran hat much or consider myself a veteran. I felt like it, the, the praise was not deserved and you know I, I didn't want it. And but you could, did the same thing almost. Well, I, I right? Yeah, so... We're getting there, okay? Yeah. That's not a shame and that's not shame and guilt to you. But I'm just saying, I find it fascinating because you're willing to admit that you didn't show that you were a veteran because you didn't want because I mean, but that's exactly what the Vietnam veterans did as well, but for much clearly different reasons. Yeah, different reasons, and then and also being a police officer, I think I was more focused on serving my community in that aspect. Um, I talked about before my father being in the Navy; um, he was a firefighter. His father was a firefighter. My grandfather on my mother's side was a police officer. So, again, there was history of military service, also a history of public service. Um, and then if a lot of the younger vets that we hear now when we approach them, ask them about to join the VFW, they're, um, you know, they're caught up in life. You know, I was really focused on my job and my family. Um, so when I moved here in 2006, uh, you didn't ask this question, but how did I become a realtor after being a cop? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I decided I wanted to do something. The harder I work, the greater the reward, uh-huh. as opposed to potentially the greater the risk. <laughs> yeah. So I got my real estate license. And, and then, um, unfortunately, 2008, 2009, yeah. 2010. Well, yeah, but, we weathered the storm. Yeah. But uh, the point being is at, at that, when I was no longer serving my community as a police officer, I kind of felt like I needed that 
kind of camaraderie again, that, that still serving mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I happened to run into somebody who belonged to VFW Post 1, found out for the first time myself that the VFW was founded in Denver in 1899. That's it. And that's, yeah. and that's why it's Post, Post 1. Post 1. So I uh, transferred my membership to Post 1. I was just a member at large at, at the time. And then as I got more involved, I realized that um, you know veterans are kind of hard-headed. We also don't like to ask for help. And uh, the fact that I was kind of denying my own contributions in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and realizing that um, just like you pay in Social Security, you pay into Medicare, all right? When you turn 65, you're going to want those benefits. Veterans, we've paid into the VA system with our health. Mm-hmm. So my mission is to get veterans to understand you're not taking anything away from another veteran when you go and, and ask the VA for health care. Amen. The, the money is there. It's been budgeted. You've paid into that system. And, you know, don't, don't think somebody else deserves, deserves it more than you do because we all deserve it because we all paid into it. You've all earned it. Uh, John Keene is our guest, and, and this is where I want to focus maybe the rest of our time together on, you know, trying to increase membership. Is it? And, and I want you to be... As brutally honest as, as you choose to be, sure. but um, I'm involved um, with the American Legion. I'm a, a you know Sons of the American Legion uh, member, and I've certainly tried to promote not only Post One but VFWs across the country. And be honest with me: is it a concerning time right now that membership is dwindling? Is it at a critical point, or are things all just totally fine? Where are we? So it's a critical point. Um, and just a little history, the VFW has been involved in getting veterans benefits since our founding in 1899. Yeah. In fact, that was what caused our founders to come together was because they got dropped off from the Philippines in San Francisco and had to find their way back to Denver on their own. Crazy. So that's, that's the impetus. So GI Bill, um, most recently the PACT Act, you know, any major legislation, the VFW has been involved with that. Um, and as you know, membership equals voice the more members you have the larger your voice is so when you go before congress they see members as as potential votes and veterans vote at a very high rate compared to the non-veteran population so we're able to get uh, our commander chief is able to get an audience with with different um, committees in congress Mm -hmm. but what's critical about this point is the vfw first time in a long time has dropped below one million members and we we're right now below a million. 950-some-odd members in the, in the VFW itself right now. Wow. Now, luckily, when the chief goes before Congress, he says he's there representing the 1.5 million VFW and auxiliary members. So I want to make sure if there's anybody that's listening who is related to, all the way from a grandparent to a grandchild, anybody who's eligible for the VFW, their direct family members can join the auxiliary. And that adds just as much voice... Uh, of an auxiliary member as of as the actual veteran when we go out and advocate for veterans on Capitol Hill. Let me ask you as we wrap up, we got just a couple minutes left. John Keene is the executive director of uh, Colorado's VFW. So if somebody's listening right now in Pueblo or Greeley or Craig, Colorado, for example, or, sure. you know, this potentially could be heard in Paris, but y- you get my drift. They, they can't necessarily, if you're in Pueblo, can you join Post One or don't you join the, so, the, the nearest one? Yeah, so I want to make uh, just a... Some clarification. Yeah. So I'm the executive director, otherwise known as the commander of the state of Colorado VFW. 
So I want anybody in Colorado to join their local post Do or their lo- local auxiliary. But I'm going to make an offer on this show. Okay. If somebody goes to vfw1.org and they submit an application to join post one, I will give them their second year of membership for free. That's a good deal. So that's a good deal. It's a, two, it's, it's a it's two, two for, for one. one. All right. Now, once you become a member, you're... You can transfer to your local post. You can stay a member of Post One if you want. Gotcha. Um, but the idea is if we can count you among our members, our chief is going to have a louder voice when he goes to testify in front of Congress. VFW1.org. So it's the number one. The number one. VFW1.org. It's a twofer. I don't know if we've given away more than one thing ever on this program. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, John. As we wrap sure. up... Um, is the future, I mean, potentially bright? I mean, you know, you, we can do shows like this and all of that, but let's throw away the stigma of, a, of a, an American Legion or a VFW being smoke-filled and there's only uh, men 75 to 95 sitting at a bar drinking. That's just not right. what it is. No, it's not. I mean, you can all find those. You can, you find, can find those it, posts but, if but you want. But that's not all it is. But that's not all it is. And um, part of my goal this year is to attract the younger, the post-9-11 veterans we want to do more family-friendly events, um, and we want to listen to these younger veterans because when they get involved and make this their organization, it has to fit with their needs. And um, the VFW National Organization has done a good job of coining this term. Um, it's a hashtag still serving. Mm-hmm. They know that the younger veterans want to do more out in the community. They don't want to just be stuck in the building. So a post may have a post home. But the post is really the membership and what they do. It's similar to like a church. A church is a building, but it's the congregation that does, does all the good work. It's our members that do the good work, that have the impact on the community, and can still live up to that hashtag still serving. And you are. I'm trying. You are. Thank right. you, brother, Thank for you. coming in. I sure appreciate it. John Keene, Colorado's executive director of the VFW, two-for-one offer right now. Buy the first year, get a second year of membership free. VFW, the number one, dot org. VFW, the number one, dot org. That wraps up this edition of the American Veteran Show. For our producer, Michael Arpaio, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a safe and healthy week ahead. We'll talk to you next time. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veterans Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.